Thank you, Minoka. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I grew up going to church. I'm sure some of you grew up going to church as well. And not only did my family go to worship most Sundays, but we would also go to Sunday school. I don't know if any of you grew up going to Sunday school, uh, but I can remember there was this one Sunday. I was in probably seventh grade, and I was sitting in Sunday school. The teacher's teaching her lesson about whatever. I can't remember what the topic was that day. But somewhat randomly, uh, this kid in the class, he raises his hand, and the teacher calls on him, and he goes, um, hey, so uh, why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? And as soon as he said that, the teacher kind of stood up straight and her eyes got really big and she started kind of fidgeting and she goes, well, um, you see, uh, the thing is, it's, it's kind of like, and then she took this long pause and she goes, you know what, that, that's a great question for the pastor. Let, let's go see him after Sunday school is over. Uh, I share that story because I imagine that many of us can relate to that poor seventh grade Sunday school teacher on a certain level. That we know the death of Jesus is significant, right? I mean, you, you show up to church and you hear all these references to the cross in our prayers and in our songs. And we've got this cross that's always up front and center every Sunday for us to look at and, and reflect upon. We know that the cross is, is at the heart of our faith as Christians. And yet, Probably kind of like that seventh grade Sunday school teacher, many of us, we're not always super clear on, on exactly like, why, why did Jesus have to die? What, what is the meaning of the cross? And so that's just what I want to spend a few minutes uh, talking about with you here this morning. What is the meaning of the cross? It's a big question. It's an important question. Hold that thought because we're going to come back to that in just a second. Uh, first, real fast, I want to say a word about this hymn that we just sang called, And Can It Be? Uh, and Can It Be was written back in the 1700s, not by Shakespeare, even though it kind of sounds like it. Uh, it was written by this guy named Charles Wesley. And Charles was one of the founders of the Methodist movement that became the Methodist church, of which Kindred is, of course, uh, a part, as many of you know. And this hymn, And Can It Be, it's been beloved. We've not sang it before here at Kindred, but it's been beloved throughout the history of Methodism uh, because it concisely and, and beautifully sums up some of our core beliefs about Jesus. And so as, as Candace mentioned, uh, over the next couple of weeks here, we're going to be doing just a little mini sermon series where we're going to use this hymn as kind of a guide in helping us to reflect a little bit on what, what are our core beliefs about Jesus, particularly as, as we understand Jesus in, in the Methodist uh, tradition. Now, uh, this is going to be uh, more of a teaching sermon series. If you worship at Kindred regularly, we, we, we try to keep our sermons usually pretty practical in focus. You may disagree with me on that, but I try to keep the sermons pretty practical. We're going to switch gears. This is going to be more of a, a teaching series where we do a little deep dive into some theology. And I figure if you're the kind of people who would show up to church in the middle of July, you probably don't mind a deep dive into theology. And if I'm wrong about that, it's only a three-week series. So, you know, we'll get through it. It'll be good for you. Uh, I was thinking this morning, this sermon series is kind of like broccoli. Like, I like broccoli. I don't know about you. Like, if you put some cheese on it and some fresh ground pepper, like, it's, it's good. I imagine, though, there's some of you that there's nothing you could put on broccoli that would make it enjoyable for you, right? But here's the thing. Either way, broccoli is good for you. You can't deny that, right? So that's kind of the sermon series. Are you sold? Are you excited about this? Yes. All right. All right. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, so the first verse of this hymn if you noticed, it's, it's all about Jesus' death. 
And so that's why today I raised this question of, of what exactly is the meaning of the cross? Now, this is big, it's heavy, it's weighty. So let's pray before we fully jump into this. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, uh, we thank you again for this space when we can give you our full attention. God, we've got a, a big, heavy, weighty question before us this morning. And so we ask that you would come and, and open the eyes of our hearts by your spirit. God, open us up to the ways that you're teaching us today about your love. God, also open us up to the ways that you're pushing us and, and challenging us to, to think more deeply to think in new ways about who you are and what you've done for us and what you want from us and what you call us to do in this world. So God, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus, who is the living word. Amen. Well, as we think about the cross, um, I think maybe the best place to begin is just to kind of briefly name what I think many of us have been taught in the past about the meaning of the cross. Uh, This may not apply to all of you, but I imagine that many of you uh, at some point in your past, maybe you were sitting in church like this listening to a sermon, maybe you were sitting in Sunday school, maybe you were at youth group, maybe you were at Christian summer camp. I don't know if anybody did Christian summer camp. Maybe you were at your college ministry. I do not know. But at some point in your past, it may be the case that somebody got up, probably a man, And they explain to you that, hey, this is the one true biblical meaning of Jesus's death. And they went on to say something kind of like this in a nutshell. They said, hey, uh, there's bad news and there's good news. Bad news first. The bad news is that, unfortunately, you are a sinner. And because you're a sinner, God is going to send you to hell and you're going to burn forever. That's true. That's bad news. We can all agree. Uh, But there's good news. They said, there's good news. The good news is Jesus died on the cross. And when that happened, all of God's eternal wrath, all of God's eternal punishment that really was meant for you, it got redirected and inflicted on Jesus instead. So it's kind of like Jesus steps in and takes the bullet for us, right? And so because of that, perhaps you were told, if you place your faith in Jesus— If you accept Jesus into your heart, if you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, if you pray the sinner's prayer, whatever it is, if you place your faith in Jesus, then you don't have to burn in hell forever. Now, there's different versions of this. Sometimes it's getting more nuanced, and and there's other things that are added to it. But uh, many people have been taught that this is what the cross means. Now, I don't know about you, but I spot a few problems with that framework for understanding the cross, or at the very least, it raises some, some serious questions for me. Like, for one thing, it doesn't strike me as being particularly loving. Like, Jesus in that framework seems loving, but God, not so much, right? Like, God seems uh, wrathful, God seems vengeful, God seems punitive, God honestly seems kind of violent. And to me, that raises a, another challenge which is that in that framework of understanding the cross, it doesn't exactly seem like God and Jesus are 100% on the same page, you know? It's like Jesus wants to save us, but, but apparently God wants us to, to burn. Now, that should raise some red flags for us because as Christians, we believe that Jesus is God, right? The Apostle Paul says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So any sort of framework that makes it seem like there's some sort of division between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, like we need to just identify that as as bad theology. That's that's a problem. One more concern I'll raise about this and then we'll move on. Uh, But often this framework is presented in a way that is highly conditional. 
is highly conditional, meaning it says to you, hey, uh, the good news is, yes, Jesus died for you. However, there's a catch. There's a condition here. Because if you don't place your faith in Jesus, for whatever reason, you're still going to burn. And I don't know about you, but to me, that, that doesn't sound like unconditional love. right? That sounds like conditional love. And I think I would argue that conditional love is not really true love at all. Now, I could keep going on and on with, with critiques of, of this, but, but this basic framework I know is what many of us were taught. And I know that for many people, it can be hard to reconcile a belief in a God of inclusive and unconditional love with this particular understanding of Jesus' death. I don't know if you've ever thought about any of this before, but I can just about guarantee you, you have friends, you have family members, you have neighbors who have struggled with this, right? Uh, I bet that whether you realize it or not, you know people who've actually walked away from church or walked away from the Christian faith because they wanted to believe in a God of inclusive and unconditional love, but, but they were taught, well, this is the meaning of Jesus' death. This is the heart of the gospel. This is the heart of the Christian faith, and they just they couldn't reconcile it, right? And, and maybe some of you are in that place here t- today, that, that you're at this place of tension in, in your own faith over this. You want to believe in a God of inclusive, unconditional love, but this is always what you've been taught about the meaning of the cross, and you're, you're having trouble squaring these, these things. And so what I want to do with the rest of the time that we have today It's just to kind of gently just just push back a bit on this framework that some of us have been taught. And what I want you to see today is that in the Methodist tradition, and we share this with many other types of Christians as well, but in the Methodist tradition, we we have a different approach to thinking about the meaning of the cross. Uh, Yes, we believe that Jesus died for us. Yes, we believe that on the cross that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were working together to deal decisively with sin and also with evil and also with, with death. Absolutely, but we don't believe that that framework I just described for you is the one true biblical meaning of the cross. So so what is our Methodist approach to thinking about Jesus's death? Um, Before we go any further here, I do think it's probably good to acknowledge like you could fill entire libraries with all the books that have been written on this subject, books by theologians, books by biblical scholars, right? And for 2,000 years, Uh, Poets have been writing poems about the cross. Songwriters have been writing songs about it. Painters have been painting pictures of it. And so to to say something meaningful about this in the next 10 minutes is in some ways kind of silly. We're only going to be scratching the surface if that. Just want to acknowledge that. But but I think this is one of those topics where even if this raises more questions for you than answers, it's still better for me to say something about this than than just to say nothing uh, at all because this is an important topic, right? It is at the heart of our faith. So how do we understand the cross as, uh, as Methodists? Um, I'm going to wow you today. Are you ready to be wowed? I've incorporated slides. I'm going to dazzle you with my technological abilities here. Hey, it works. Okay. So what I want, thank you. Yes, yes. Um, I was worried nobody was going to clap. Uh, so what I want to try to do just, just really briefly here is just to uh, highlight three things just three things that we Methodists believe about the cross. Um, so we'll just run through these. Again, this may raise more questions than answers for you, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, so first thing that I want to say about what we Methodists believe about the cross is it doesn't just have one meaning only. We believe it has multiple meanings. It has layers of meaning. You know, there are some events that are so significant 
They don't just mean one thing. I'll give you a couple examples from my own life. I was thinking this week about my high school graduation. What was the meaning of my high school graduation? Well, one meaning was that I passed enough classes somehow in high school to graduate and get my diploma. That was one meaning. What was another meaning? Well, that meant once I got my diploma that I was qualified to go on to college. Another meaning was that because I was going off to college, I was getting ready to move out of my parents' house for the first time. It was a milestone in my development in that way. My high school graduation also meant that I was saying goodbye to a lot of my childhood friends, and we would go in our separate directions in life, right? It didn't just mean one thing. It meant a whole bunch of things. All of that was true all at the same time. Uh, Another example of this, I was thinking about when uh, our first child was born, when our son was born. What, what, What did that mean? Well, for one thing, it meant I became a father, For another thing, it meant that my wife became a mother, and so now we're not just husband and wife, but there's a a new layer of our relationship. We're now co-parents, right? Uh, Another thing that it meant was I would soon be spending my time and my money in a lot of different ways. It also meant I wasn't going to be getting much sleep for a while. Uh, Some of you young parents might can relate to that. So so what did it mean? It meant all of those things at once. Well, it's kind of similar when we think about the cross, as Methodists at least. Uh, it, It doesn't just mean one Many New Testament scholars would tell us that the New Testament actually gives us somewhere up to like eight distinct frameworks, eight overarching images or or metaphors when it talks about the cross. Uh, We don't have time to catalog all eight of those today. We'd be here all day, so you can be grateful. I'm not going to do that. But I do just want to give you one example from Scripture of what I'm talking about. A few minutes ago, Anoka read to us this passage from Ephesians chapter 1, and I want to just look at verse 7, the first verse that she read. Because what I want to show you is that in this one single verse alone, we get two distinct meanings of Jesus's death right there in scripture. I'm not making this up. So let's look at this. Uh, The beginning. uh, Hey, it's working. Awesome. Uh, So Ephesians verse uh, chapter one, verse seven starts out like this. It says, we have been what? We have been ransomed through his son's blood. What is a ransom? This is not a word that we typically use in our everyday lives. Um, But if you've ever seen a movie where somebody gets kidnapped, hopefully you don't have personal experience with this, uh, but sometimes in movies, uh, the the kidnapper will will take this person, and then what do they do? They they write what's called a ransom note, right? And they, they send that to the kidnapped person's loved ones, and that note says, here's how much you need to pay. Here's how much you owe me if you want me to set your loved one free. That's a ransom. Or back in times of slavery, Uh, If an enslaved person, if you wanted to purchase their freedom, you would have to pay what was called a ransom, right? So a ransom is when you purchase someone's freedom. And what Ephesians is telling us here is Jesus' death is kind of like that, that Jesus paid this price. Jesus paid this, this cost, not literally in financial terms, it's a metaphor, but Jesus paid the ultimate cost in, in laying down his life, And in doing that, Jesus sets us free, that we were enslaved. We were under the power of sin and evil and death. We were not free, but because of the price that Jesus paid, now we are free. We're free to live the life that God created us for. So Ephesians tells us that's the meaning of the cross. But wait, but wait, there's more. It goes on from there, and it says, not just we've been ransomed through his son's blood, But it says, and we have forgiveness. We have forgiveness for our failures based on his overflowing grace. It's not just that we are ransomed by Jesus' death, 
but it also brings about our forgiveness. There's a sense in which the cross washes us of our guilt and our shame for the things that we've done that have been hurtful to us, for the things that we've done that are hurtful to other people that God loves. It doesn't have just one meaning. Here within this very same verse of Scripture, we see two distinct meanings. And there are other examples I could give you from the New Testament, but, but you see my point. The cross has layers of meaning. And so if somebody comes to us and says, I have the one true biblical meaning of Jesus' death, as Methodists, we say, well, that, that's not how we interpret it. Okay, so that's the first thing that I wanted to share with you. Second thing I wanted to share with you is that in the Methodist tradition, this is related, but we believe that the cross is ultimately a divine mystery. At the end of the day, we're dealing with a mystery here. Uh, my family went on vacation this past week. We had an awesome time. We, we spent the first half of the week at the beach, and then we packed up our stuff, and we went up to the mountains, and we spent the second half of the week there. Uh, it's pretty awesome to live in a part of the world where we can do beach and mountains in the same week. We were, uh, we were grateful to, to have that opportunity. But in both places, uh, I felt like I encountered a mystery, and maybe you can relate to this. Uh, I don't know um, if you've ever experienced this, but like when I stand on the beach, and I look out at the ocean, I can't help but feel a sense of awe and wonder and mystery because the ocean, it's just like, it's so vast and it's so beautiful and it's so powerful, it's like hard to wrap my mind around. And similarly, when we're in the mountains, we hike up to the top of a mountain, we're looking out at this beautiful valley below and the mountain range and there's this sense of awe and wonder because it's, it's just hard to wrap your mind around just how big it is. And of course, science gives us lots of information, right? Science tells us how the oceans work and how the mountain ranges were formed and all this, and that's good, and that's, that's helpful. But you know, sometimes when you're standing there in the presence of it, those scientific explanations, don't just, they don't quite do justice to, to the full experience of what it's like to stand before the ocean or to stand before a great mountain range. And words ultimately fall short. And in a similar kind of a way, that, that's how we think about the cross, as well, that, that scripture gives us many different ways of thinking about it and, and understanding it, but at the end of the day, it, it defies all simple explanation. Is this Methodist being wishy-washy and not sticking to biblical doctrine? No, we actually get this from scripture itself. I will show you an example of this. Ephesians chapter 3, so same letter uh, of the Bible, the Apostle Paul, he says this. He says, I pray that you will know the love of Christ that is what? Beyond knowledge, the love of Christ, particularly on the cross. It's ultimately beyond knowledge. So that means if you think you've got the cross worked out into this simple little formula, the Apostle Paul says you need to think again. If you think you've perfectly understood it, you haven't because it's a mystery that ultimately defies complete explanation. That's part of the reason why scripture has to give us so many different images and metaphors and, and frameworks for understanding it. This is a, another thing that um, the, the hymn, And Can It Be, uh, helpfully, I think, points out to us. I don't know if you noticed here in the, the first verse, but this is not a, a list of statements about the meaning of Jesus's death. This is a list of questions this is a list of like worshipful wonderings about the, the meaning of Jesus' death. Check this out. And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Question mark. Died he for me who caused his pain for me who him to death pursued? Question mark. Amazing love. How can it be that thou my God should die for me? 
But when we think about the cross, there's always going to be more questions than answers. And that's okay. And that's fitting because we're dealing with a divine mystery. I think back to my seventh grade Sunday school teacher and how she was fidgeting and stuttering and stammering to to give our seventh grade class a a concise explanation of the cross. And in some ways, she actually got it right. She was actually communicating something important for us seventh graders to know, which is this defies easy, simple explanations. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. That's the second thing that I wanted to share with you. Third and final thing. I'm almost done here. I'm almost done. Um, In the Methodist tradition, we believe that the cross is ultimately an act of love. It's an act of God's love. Uh, Not just Jesus' love, but God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit working together for us. Uh, This is another thing that this hymn helpfully captures. Um, It says, amazing love in the refrain. How can it be? Amazing. It's not amazing punishment, right? It's not amazing wrath, amazing eternal fire. It's, it's amazing love. And so scripture gives us lots of different ways to think about the cross, but, but at the root of all of them, it, it's love. And if, if we encounter an understanding of the cross that doesn't seem rooted in love, we need to go back to scripture and we need to keep learning and we need to keep examining that understanding of, of the cross because scripture is so clear. God is love. God is love. God is love. And nowhere is that more true than on the cross. So I'll stop there. Uh, but um, I, I hope that you'll keep thinking about these things. I hope you'll keep learning. As I said, if you want to learn more about this or talk more with me uh, about this, um, I'm more than happy to chat offline. I would encourage you, as you keep reading Scripture on your own, as you keep showing up to worship here, pay attention to the ways that we talk about the cross in our songs. Pay attention to the way that, that Scripture uh, talks about the, the cross and, and keep learning and, and growing as you do that, I pray that you will come to an ever deeper understanding of this mystery and that as that happens, you'll come to an ever deeper understanding of of God's love for you. And at the very least, if you take nothing else away from this sermon today, I hope that you'll know that as Christians, we're not stuck with this understanding of the cross that makes it seem like God is vengeful and violent and and all of this. That's, That's not who God is. It's not what the cross is. Scripture gives us Uh, I I think, more faithful ways of of understanding what the cross is all about. So I'll leave you with this blessing again from the Apostle Paul. He says, I pray that you'll know the love of Christ that is beyond knowledge so that you will be filled entirely with the fullness of God. Let me pray for us. Oh, Lord God, we are so thankful to you for this mystery, Lord. Uh, it's, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around. It's hard for us to, to ever fully understand what you've done for us, but we know that you have displayed your love for us in the ultimate way by laying down your life to forgive us, to set us free so that we can live the life that you've created us to live. God, we pray that you would empower us to live in the shadow of the cross, to live in the light of the cross, knowing that we have been freed from all the forces of evil and sin and death in this world. God, as those forces continue to swirl all around us, we know that you have called us to be agents of your love and your grace and your peace. And so we ask you to empower us to do that good and holy work in our lives and in the world around us. Lord, again, we're so thankful for this mystery, and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus.
Amen. Amen. Now we're going to move into our